it's a difficult childhood because we were poor and we didn't have much food on the table. We would, uh, we would, we don't usually eat three times a day. So, uh, and we would gather uh, wild fruits and whatever food we can forage around us. Because when you're when you're a child confined in a poor community, and the conventional wisdom is you should act the way they act, you should think the way they think, and usually poor people wouldn't want to dream bigger because they feel that it's beyond them, and society has bias, and society has biases against them. They would say, ambitioso ka naman, di ba? I live in the, I used to stay in the bake shop of my of my relative in the slums of uh, Fort Bonifacio. Uh, and uh, I would I, I would sleep on the floor. So, but if I'm luckier, I get to sleep on the table. Alam yun, sa masahan tinapay. Well, I think it's important that uh, you have to ground yourself in, uh, in integrity. Uh, and Because that's always a, a foundation that you need to anchor yourself because with the with the changing tides of politics uh, and power shifts, uh, you have to anchor yourself very steadily. The worst crisis that we have is actually the crisis of credibility and leadership. I think uh, um, we must, all leaders, whether in government or in the private sector, must be able to project uh, a certain level of credibility that would um, that would also ensure that the trust of people is gained. Financially, when I came in, the cash balance of BCD is about seven, 7 billion. When I left, it's about 19 billion. That's cash. You were listening to Arnel Pashano Casanova former CEO of the Basis Conversion Development Authority, current CEO of AECOM. My name is JP Alipio, and you're listening to The Wildcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 27 of The Wildcast. And this is a super special episode for me because I have this amazing conversation with Arnel, who also happens to be a frat brad in uh, the Pi Sigma fraternity, which I, I'm a part of. And um, he is so inspirational. I mean, his work, his life, the stuff that he had to go through, I mean, it's really a testament to education, uh, hard work, and really perseverance against the norms. I mean... Arnel grew up from a poor family, a poor community uh, in Batangas. He basically he read himself into literacy, literally. Um, quite amazing. I mean, in this conversation, he read himself to literacy just reading off of people's shoulders of rented comic books in the in the public market and eventually he he moved on to something like uh you know re- reading the tinapa wrappers which were at that time made from 
glossy magazine pages of National Geographic and Time and Life. And and this is such an amazing story, you know, such an amazing story and such an amazing man to imagine living a life. Uh, he moved to Manila. He He lived in the slums. This is something many of us, uh, probably the many of the listeners uh, of this podcast have never experienced. And and he lived in the slums and he grew to become the person that built, you know, things like BGC, uh, Clark Green City, the expressways that you pass through, um, Arnell... Uh, he in this, I mean, in this whole in, in this whole conversation, we talk about how every morning he would sit at the top of one of the highest towers in BGC, and he'd have a view of the shanties and the slums that he used to live in um, across BGC. You know, essentially the life he grew up in, and uh, and he counts that as a blessing. And he's really one of these people who I see as a person of real integrity. I mean, imagine working in a multi-billion dollar industry such as um, the BCDA. I mean, all you have to do is cut five pesos per square meter from the valuation of, of a lease agreement. And you could make billions quite literally overnight. Um just by cutting a few a few pesos here and there from a valuation per square meter for a lease, you'd make millions automatically, billions even, uh, given he was the head of this whole, this whole, all the bases in the Philippines, essentially. And, uh, and it's such an insightful conversation as well, because for him, really integrity and compassion is something that really struck me as his style of leadership. He had the opportunity to do anything. I mean, literally, he had the opportunity to do anything. He went to Harvard. He was educated in the best schools. He was... Um, he's the youngest uh, person to ever get the Legion of Honor from the Philippine government. Imagine that. He got it at 25 um, such an amazing man, and uh, I'm so blessed and so honored to have this conversation with him, and to be able to share it with all of you listeners today on this podcast. Uh, well, thank you for listening, uh, and of course, before uh, before I send you off to listen to our amazing conversation, I'd like to remind everybody that. Our shirts, our shirt orders for the Wildcast podcast are still available. So if you click on our link in the show notes, you can order some of our amazing shirts that uh, have the Madonna de Gisalo, which is basically the patron saint of cyclists and uh, sort of in tune with this podcast because Arnel is a urban planner and he talks about uh, cycling infrastructure and all of these things. And the Madonna de Gisalo also, of course, works towards protection of uh, our cyclists, our our fellow cyclists. So, without further ado, please listen to this amazing conversation between me and Arnel 
We recorded this last August, and um, here it is for all of you to listen to. Hi, Arnel. Thank you for coming on the Wildcast. And I'm really, really grateful that you're giving me this time uh, to share your story and share your experience um, with my listeners over, over this medium. Well, thanks, uh, JP. It's uh, great to be here and uh, it's great to be able to uh, share whatever thoughts I may have with our audience. Uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity. Thank you. And uh, how are you? How are you now? What's your situation? I'm currently working from home, just like uh, most of us here in Metro Manila, uh, because of the uh, MECQ. Uh, so most mm-hmm. of us in the office were almost 100% working from home. Uh, by God's grace, I'm okay and my, with my family. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. And and your office is now AECOM. Is is that correct? Yes, uh, AECOM. It's a uh, one of the biggest uh, design engineering firm around the world. It's a Fortune 500 company and uh, publicly listed in the New York Stock Exchange. I'm the uh, country CEO for for this company for the Philippines. Oh wow! Yes. Wow, it's really a privilege for us to be hearing your thoughts um, on today's episode. No, salamat ng marami. Um, I'd really like to start maybe uh, to go back to your your background. No, you came from a from a very poor family in Batangas, and you moved to Manila before all of this. Can you maybe describe um, your childhood and and how it was growing up? Oh, it's actually um, it's a it's a uh, it's a poor childhood. But uh, you know, when we were children, we 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 don't realize our own poverty, right? But particularly when you're living in a poor community as well. So we live in the farm. Uh, we till the land, actually, somebody else's land because we were a landless family. And uh, so I get to play around uh, rice fields and uh, sugarcane plantations and all this. Uh, swim in the river so i love nature and the outdoors mm-hmm. um so and i i'm a product of public school system so uh, i i uh, studied in the public school in the grade school and then uh mm-hmm. for high school uh i entered the seminary uh to get a pub, uh, free pub, uh, free education as well and then from uh, after spending 6 years in the seminary I realized I was not cut out to be a priest, so I decided to uh, get out of the seminary and uh, transfer to UP. Yeah, but my okay. childhood was—I uh, would—I would say uh, it's a difficult childhood because we were poor and we didn't have much food on the table. We would—we uh, would—we don't usually eat three times a day, so uh, and we would gather uh, wild fruits and whatever food we can forage around us. Uh, well, that's a good thing. And you were eight children, the, uh, no, Tamaba. Yeah, we were eight children. Yeah. So, di ko nga alam kung paano kami dumami ng ganong karami. <laughs> Masyado masipag tatay ko. <laughs> Nung panahon na yun yata, ano, parang uso pa yun. My, my parents are also parang eight, nine children. So, parang in, in that generation, they were l- large families. Yeah. And we live uh, uh, in, well, there were no electricity yet at that time in the in the countryside. So actually, I got to experience only uh, the electricity when I was already four, grade four, in grade four. Okay. So usually what we will just, you know, uh, we will 
we will have dinner very early, like 6 to 6.30 in the evening. And then uh, just congregate in the, uh, because we lived in a, in a Nipah hut. So, so, and then our source of light is actually the kerosene lamp on a Ginebra San Miguel bottle, right? So you oh, see, wow. see that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yes, and, I've seen uh, that. Uh, yeah. And then, and then uh, our only appliance then was uh, a transistor radio, that wooden box. So we would always mm, hear yeah. the programs, yung simatar, yung mga ganon. And then, oh, mga, and then mga we usually, drama uh, sa radio. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of life that uh, I had when I was young. So it's in the in the farm with uh, with the animals, and and then uh, we sleep very early without uh, without power. So and then we walk to school because we didn't have transportation. Mm-hmm. So we have to wake up very early, tend to mm-hmm. our livestock uh, that we're caring for uh, before the break of day, and then go back and then wash up and then go to school, walk walk our way to school. So yeah, it's a very rustic, and I would say if you love the outdoors and you if you love that kind of quiet life, then then my childhood is great. Yeah, but we didn't have. Yeah, much for food me outdoors. personally, you know, right. I I love the outdoors. So parang yeah. it seems to be idyllic, but of course it it was of course difficult, no, as a child to be growing up in that that those conditions. Yeah, yung food is always different, difficult, and also education. Getting from one place to another, uh, getting to the town center is already a for a child you would consider this as a privilege. E mga tagabuket mm-hmm. usually, lalo na kung malayo yung town center, parang parang Manila, parang Manila na intingin mo eh, parang tama tama. Engano pa lang yung linalakad mo nun? At just to get to school, pagpapasok ka araw-araw, gano kalayo? Well, when we were young, we thought it was very far because we have very small steps. Uh, mga almost three to five kilometers. Uh, oh, layo <laughs> uh, yeah, Well, when, but but for us who are now marathoners and runners, But when we were younger, but we were when you were younger, that's really uh, quite uh, a a walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but it's five it's, it's a great. It, yeah, it's it's a fun walk though, because. You you also walk with other children, right? So you get to have your friends with you, and then what we usually do, uh, so because we want to save our money uh, uh, and not to buy a pair of slippers every time, so we mm-hmm. we don't wear shoes, so we wear slippers, and it's a luxury too. So what we usually do is we walk barefoot. We just put our slippers on our on our arm, and then. Yeah, Elbows, yeah, right? You see the elbows? And yes, then, oh, I can see that. And then, because it's difficult to walk on a muddy street, uh, muddy road, uh, the slipper gets stuck. And then sometimes, napipigtal yung kanya. Napuputol, yeah, yung kanya. So, so we usually put that on our elbows as, as we... And, but it's a, it's, a beautiful, it's, a, it's a fun walk because we are with other children and our friends. Yeah. Yung nga lang, hmm. when you get to school, you're already sweaty. And you really smell. So. Yeah. <laughs> Tapos maputik pa yung paa mo. No? So, maputik pa paa mo. So, so well, well, pagdating na lang ng school, punta kami sa tungga-tungga, you know, sa poso. That's uh, mm-hmm. uh, manually operated. So, we just wash our feet. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. during recess time, we we we, t- we have Nutriban at that time. So, I grew up during, yes. during the Marshall years. 
So it's actually a food aid. Uh, so because most of us were really malnourished because we didn't have much food. So school children were given that uh, milk, which uh, which was a terrible taste. No, parang up to now mm. I was lactose intolerant because of that. <laughs> And also the bulgur, bayon. I, bulgur, I, I remember yes, no the... elementary ako pinakain din kami with something. Like that. Yeah, bulgur yon, bulgur. So it's a nutriban, and then uh, uh, and then bulgur and milk na kwan, walang taste dano. Mm, yeah. yeah, I remember because I also went to a public elementary school. No? So parang mm. same same experience na pinapakain kami ng mga mga uh, nutritional aid uh, to yeah. help with. And most kids, kasi, um, come to school not having breakfast. But it's, yeah. a, it's a common thing, right? Yeah, yeah. We didn't have breakfast usually, so we could just go. Uh, actually, um, usually our breakfast would be like uh, if we have breakfast, we will have kamote and uh, mm-hmm. salabat. So what my mother would do to save money, because my mother was a uh, was a uh, seamstress, mananahe. You know how it is. Mananahi in the yes. rural, rural area, it, it's not much. And then my father uh, just, you know, try to get whatever income he may have in kung anong racket makuha niya. <clears throat> and then, of course, because even if we're farmers, uh, it takes some time to harvest and to earn from from mm. your from your uh, crops. Usually rice, eh, so it takes time. So in between the harvest, then you have to find a way to really sustain yourself, your family. Uh, and what we will do to save on money is uh, we'll buy kamote, the sweet potato, uh, and then uh, we also boil that uh, with the ginger. So in one go, we have uh, a ginger tea or salabat and a boiled kamote. Boiled kamote, <laughs> yeah. wow. Well, you're prepared for fuel. No, yes, no? exactly, exactly. Yeah, so we, I, I usually gather the firewood. Uh, among the eight children, I'm quite stronger than the others. So my tasks were usually uh, fetching water, which is about a kilometer away. So because mm-hmm. at that time there's no waterworks, there's no pipe water. So mm-hmm. we put our water inside a uh, a jug, an earthen jug, right? So um, and then uh, I fe- fetch that about a kilometer away from from someone else's uh, water pump. Uh, okay. And, and then uh, I navigate through rice fields, you know, that pilapil. Pilapil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, places between, the pathways between rice paddies. Uh, so I have to be very careful not to slip because it's muddy and slippery. So I would ha- have two pails of water uh, at both ends of the bamboo stick, right? So, and then uh, and bring it home. Yeah, that's how. So it's we, very much like a uh, blanco painting, yung buhay. Yeah, <laughs> like the Fernando Amorsolo. No? Yes, yes. Amor like Solo. a Fernando Amorsolo yes, and blanco. Yes. You know, uh, yeah. a few years actually, about maybe eight years ago, I I did a project uh, for the ILO in the Bondoc Peninsula, and mm-hmm. yung isa sa mga project namin don is magbigay kami ng mga bisikleta sa rural families. Mm, yeah, and hindi namin sigurado kung saan nila gagamitin. No? So, essentially, mm-hmm. parang gumawa kami ng parang bike, cargo bike project. Mm-hmm. And we transferred it to them. We, we taught them how to use it, me- mechanics, and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we found that they used it the most for was actually to get water. Yes. No? Like, like, just like your experience. In, the- their, in, in that village, 
it mm-hmm. saved them almost like two hours a day yes. getting water. Kasi malayo din, di ba? Malayo, malayo. Oh, oh, oh. Malayo. And, uh, and then, so they'll usually put that on the handlebar. Or uh, mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, for those who are lucky to get a a metal bearing, you know, they they use that, uh, um, they, they, they actually uh, customize a pole with a uh, metal bearing on the tip and then they put mm-hmm. the hook on uh, on the pole and then they, that's where they they hook the pail so basically mm-hmm. the pole is resting on the shoulder and then you push that pole because it has that uh, metal bearing on the in front so medyo right. mas madali uh, that, but that that cannot mm-hmm. but you can't use that on when you're navigating uh, rice paddies because the that's true yeah that's the pole true. will uh, get stuck on the mud so but usually they they do that on the when the when the road is much more harder yeah yeah and and you i, I read somewhere parang the way you learned to love reading and learning was sa palengke yes but, yes actually yes um because well you know in the public school i don't know if it's true in your public school but in my time uh, the library is always closed because one, there's no designated librarian. There's no full-time librarian. Basically, our teachers would have to double up as a, t- as, uh, you know, a teacher and then the, uh, also as a librarian. So when they're busy uh, writing their lesson plans, so that's where they just tend to to the library. But then because and this is uh, I I only realized later on in life on why. My uh, teacher would not allow me to use the books because I would oftentimes ask them if I could use the books, and they would tell me that I ca- I could not uh, simply because uh, I may uh, destroy the book or tear uh, you know some of the pages. So the books and uh, even the scientific uh, uh, equipment like microscopes, uh, we couldn't use that. It's just forever new uh, right there on the uh, on the on the cabinet. Uh, because it's only for show. It's only for compliance. Mm. Because I, I realized... Lang ng supervisor. Yes, I realized that actually uh, that schools are being rated on the basis of the, the quality of these facilities. So, so the, if you have a good library, then they, they get good rating. And then if the equipment are well maintained, well, of course, the, because it's forever locked there, so they, they, they don't need maintenance anymore. So I never really get to uh, to uh, read much of the books. Uh, so, but much more of the reading that I got is uh, when I would go to the uh, market where they rent these uh, comics, no? Yung mga aliwa. Oh, may ganon dito. Superstar. Ah, may, may, they they hang it may on. Mga a, rental, comic yeah, rentals. Yeah, yung nakahang sa parang sampayan, right? Yes, it's it's yes. like a clothesline where they put mm-hmm. all the the comics. And then they rent it for like I think uh, five centavo each. So, but I don't have much. I don't have money. Also, five centavos at that time is already uh, quite a money. So, uh, yun yung singkong bagol yung malaki pa yung singko. Uh, and right, then, right. and then, and then. So what I would do is actually sit beside someone who's reading, and then I will read mm. with him together with him. So I'll just peep on the page that he's reading. And uh, but you know it it gave me a photographic memory because I was wow I was forced by the circumstance to read faster than the other than the other guy otherwise ma- ah, oh if you flip the name page eh. <laughs> so so hindi ko na ma- <laughs> hindi ko na bali ma- ma- yung story 
So yeah, that's the time yung mga funny comics, yeah, yun na sina Zuma at that time yung mga ganun na novels <laughs> ni Carlo J. Caparas, yeah. Uh, mm. Ganun, yeah. Yeah. So that's how I learned. And then yeah. eventually my reading habits improved so I got to uh, read English materials which I found to be a uh, stock, a lot of them, in uh, the dry food section. Yung pindahan ng tuyo. Because the... Ah, this, okay. Yeah, the time... Yan yung ginagamit nilang pambalot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because these are glossy pages. So, and, right. they're, and they're really good for for uh, uh, for the dried fish. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll see there uh, the National Geographic, Time Magazine, Reader's Digest. So, those are the time that the things that I've read. And... Uh, so the, I get to learn more. So that one than than what my teachers have been teaching, but there's a a downside to it. So because I read much mm-hmm. and beyond what my teachers are saying are teaching, so particularly for National Geographic in the science uh, the sciences, when I go back to school, I would ask my teacher so much about it and so publicly because it's right in the middle of the class, and because my teachers never really read those things. They wouldn't know how Di to alam. Yes, they wouldn't know how to answer. So they get embarrassed. But of course I was young. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the impact of what I was doing. So they th- they thought that I was just, you know, being difficult. And uh even if I was a bright student and I know a lot, I knew a lot at the time, because I've read a lot, uh I always fail in one subject. And that's the GMRC. The Okay. The, the good manners. Good manners in life conduct. Kasi nila mayabang ka lang. Yeah, or makulet, makulet, di ba? Yung ganun. Kasi when you when you end up being different from the rest of the class, you become uh, an you become a eh, an outlier. Right? So, That's right. Uh, and uh, most teachers would want for them to be to, be, to make their life easier. You, they want you to be conformist. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And is this how you parang you you've gone from that life to I mean the life you're living now. Parang it's so far to dream. Was it something that you dreamt of when you were that child reading in the market? Nagbabasa ka na National Geographic in the market. Naisip mo na parang oh one day I'm going to build a BGC or you know I'm, I'm going to build a a Clark uh, City. Uh, at that time, this this is actually I, I would say. Uh, you can actually achieve dreams that you've never dreamed of. <laughs> because when you were young uh, and you were mm-hmm. living in a poor community, and in fact, I was the first uh, college graduate in my family. So the college education actually is like a very, very difficult and almost an impossible achievement to to achieve. So because uh, just getting into school, in the grade school, is already a struggle. Getting into the high school is already almost an impossible because we didn't have public public high school. Our high school in uh, in our in my town is a private school, so you have to pay tuition. So okay. what 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 I did to to avoid that is to go to the seminary. So I got free education, uh, cur- courtesy of uh, the Catholic Church. <laughs> so thank mm-hmm. thanks to the Lord, and uh, and then uh, of course getting to college which usually requires you to go to Manila because we didn't have uh, college uh, or universities in, in, in our place. So you have to either go to Manila, which was like uh, so far away. Uh, and uh, so it's, uh, it's almost a, uh, an impossible task to do, uh, to do. So, but 
you know, the good thing about being able to read and read a lot is that the reading allows you to, your mind to wander beyond what you see because uh, mm -hmm. you become much more imaginative and you see, because uh, the more, once you read, particularly novels, then as a child, your, your mind flies, right? So you get right. to imagine about kings, castles, astronauts, and stars and all those things that, you know, even fairy tales. So, because when you're, when you're a child confined in a poor community and the conventional wisdom is you should act the way they act, you should think the way they think. And usually poor people wouldn't want to dream bigger because they feel that it's beyond them. And society has yes, biases. common, no? And society has biases against them. And they would say, you are actually, your being a dreamer is actually taken against And they you. discourage you automatically. Eh, no? Yeah, yeah. Well, some because they, they feel that you're mayabang. But for some, for families also, relatives, it's also out of love. You know, because parang they don't want you to get disappointed that you put mm -hmm. your, high, your hopes so high and then eventually fall back to earth and realize how poor you are and then you're you're incapable of doing that so parang they because they don't want you to suffer that pain they would rather uh, confine you to this place where they would feel that they are more comfortable which is their their place diba parang okay dito lang tayo mahirap lang tayo yung mga ganung Comment, diba? you, you always uh, hear yeah. this remark. Palagi mo natinig yun. Eh. It's, mm, it's, yeah. it's a common thing. Parang, yeah. ah, mahirap lang ako. Ito lang yung kaya namin. Yes, diba? yes, yes. But the truth is, uh, that's a self-defeating attitude. And I think we have to go through that pain. If we have to fail, then we have to fail. But at least we should try. Uh, because, and, and that's how I, I was able to discover in my life. Yeah. But you have to admit, parang it's not the easiest thing no, for, for someone from that background to be like you. Parang siguro, of, of all your friends, you're probably one of 20 who, who's been able to you know, break that barrier. And parang, how were you different, do you think, uh, from them? No? Yung, yung iba mong kasama na, pare pareho naman kayong mahirap nung, nung panahon na yan. Yeah, I, I think probably because of some trauma, uh, painful experiences too, which somehow made me angry and made, but that anger is channeled in a positive way. Uh, mm -hmm. And that is one, in, when I was in grade six, I was accused of stealing money uh, oh. wrongfully. So when you're a child and you are so innocent and you are suddenly put to that situation where your own teacher who you look up to as your second parent uh, and who you, who you idolize, right? So, and suddenly uh, uh, betrays your trust and accuse you of something so uh, abominable. Because, you know, in, my, in, a, in a poor community, lalo na sa Batangas, mapagbintangan ka ng mamamatay tao. Baka, baka actually, akalain na, siga ka pa. Pero mapagbintangan ka, magnanakaw ka you will be ostracized and even your family. It's going to stigmatize your entire family and clan. It's a matter of honor. And uh, as a child, no one, would, no one would play with you. Even parents would discourage their children to play with you or welcome you to their homes. Uh, that's a big thing. And you know, in, in the provinces, and I'm sure in the Cordilleras, that's the same thing, that you actually welcome 
people in your homes and out of hospitality and generosity. But when someone is being uh, branded as a thief, then you, you will be, uh, the community will ostracize uh, the family and even the children. Right. So, so I could not bear that pain. And uh, that's something that, that's something, that's an experience I actually kept to myself until I was already 35 years old. Uh, oh, wow, that's a long old. time. Uh, yeah, because, because of the shame. You know, that uh, I, 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 never, I never shared that with my, with my parents, with my siblings, or with anyone. It's only my teacher and I who knew about it. But it has stayed with me for so long. And the first time that but I But this was... is something Yeah. This is something that a lot of um poor families and poor people tend to experience. No? Parang pag may ninakaw, automatic sila yung yes, because you look different, you look filthy, you look hungry, uh, and uh, you lalo pa ako, malikot ako. So parang parang you profile parang pino profile ka. There's always a stereotype against poor people. That's why I feel that you know poor people should get out of that prejudice and fight that prejudice uh, because that that prejudice also uh, imprisons their own minds and their own dignity so yeah so that's why uh, I've always been an outlier because uh, I never really considered the society as a fair society and therefore I had to do it on my own I, 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 I never depended on anyone. Uh, even mm-hmm. if uh, I actually, admittedly, I was a product of people's generosity because a lot of people also helped me along the way. But uh, these people had really helped me without asking anything for in return. Uh, but simply because they probably believed in what I was trying to do on, by, on my own. Uh, so I, I uh, subsisted through scholarships. Uh, of course, in through government, uh, through the public institution, UP. So when you were in UP, you were under the STFAP? Yeah, I was bracket uh, one. So when when I applied for STFAP, someone in the the office of the uh, office of uh, Sabe Vincent's Hall asked me, Mm. oh, where's your uh, income tax return? I said, what's the income tax return? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Right. Of course, we're very poor. We're dirt poor. How could we, you know, how could, how could we even consider paying tax? Kahit nga yung pagkain, wala pa kayong makain, di ba? So we never really experienced filing an income tax return. So to me, that was so so strange. And what was that income tax return? So I had to ask. So I just, uh, just, on, I just got a certificate of exemption from our, from our, from our municipality. So mm-hmm. yeah. And, and despite being, uh, despite being basically bracket one, parang full scholar, no, it pays for yes. all your education essentially. May, um, may allowance pa. You still, may, la- uh, may allowance pa. Pero parang kulang yun, no? I mean, living in Manila, mahal ng Manila. Kulang. Yeah, may, wala talaga. Uh, you, you cannot survive in Manila by scholarship alone. You have to work. That's why I had to work mm-hmm. uh, in Jollibee. I had to find different oh. work. So. I worked two jobs. Uh, so when when I got the scholarship, so I got admitted and got the scholarship, the STFAP. So my next struggle was really to to find, to sustain myself. So I was so embarrassed also to ask money. So 
I was living with my uh, relatives. Uh, fortunately, ano, among Filipinos, magkakamag-anak nagtutulungan. So, I lived in the, I used to stay in the bake shop of my of my relative in the slums of uh, Fort Bonifacio. Uh, and uh, wow. I would I, I would sleep on the floor. So, but if I'm luckier, I get to sleep on the table. On the, alam yun, sa masahan tinapay. Kung walang masang tinapay, doon ah, ako sa table. Eh, naka, and parang apat na taon mong ginawa ito? Or basically... Well, uh, for one year. And then years. I get to... I, I, no, but I... After, in my first year, but I... Fortunately, I get to transfer to Nara Residence Hall. So, ah, okay. the only about... Yeah, nakakuha ako ng... Nakapag-apply ako ng uh, admission sa Nara. Sa Nara Residence Hall. Yung ko sa Nara yeah. din nag, nag-tumira when he was in Dilimar. Yeah, that's the best dorm in my life. <laughs> it's a subculture there. So it's, a, it's the only men's Parang dorm. Parang wala na yata ngayon. No? Nara is, Nara's gone oh, now. Oh, nasunog like, siya. But that, that's where I met uh, sina Brad uh, Dong Abay. So sina hmm. Marcus Adoro ng Eraser Heads. Marcus was my right. was my roommate. Uh, so Oh wow. Yeah, so nung nung bago pa lang nila tinutugtog yung pare ko, yung toyang, sintunado pa nga sila noon eh. Hindi uh, pa ganoon maganda yung tunog nila. <laughs> but uh and they were not so famous, they were just, you know, trying to get gigs, no? Uh, but uh yun, uh, and uh, I met a lot of interesting people. And most of them are very successful now also in Nara. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting, no? Like coming from a place like UP, which is so diverse, parang there's so many different types of people from many different backgrounds. May merong sobrang yaman, may sobrang hirap, may you know mm-hmm. all, all sorts. Yeah. And and parang UP in 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 some way sort of equalizes everybody inside the campus, no? Yeah, yes. I don't know if you felt that, but when when I was there, that's how I felt. Yes, yes, that's how I felt actually. Uh, it doesn't matter. And then, you know, UP, UP students, may pagkakwampayan eh. Ah. Pagka medyo kokonyo-konyo, wala yan. Parang iba pa yung tingin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> parang... Pag AS types ka, tumatambay, patay ka. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I mean, that, that's a good thing. And, and, and then the rich guys, they, 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 they don't really flaunt it because they get called out if they do mm-hmm. that, right? So it's really the... Yeah, parang the culture is not is against that. No? Against that. Parang okay. Para, kung matalino ka, okay. Okay ka. Pero kung yaman ka lang, uh, sorry ha, hindi, hindi uubra lang yan. So, uh, so and, and then also leadership. I guess uh, UP students are natural leaders because they're being, uh, whether whatever kind of political inclination they may have, they tend to have uh, that kind of very strong belief and strong um, strong adherence to what they and then that 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 diversity in ideas uh, get become to be uh, distilled in that crucible of different thoughts and diverse ideas and that's how learning actually beyond the classroom also flourish uh, mm-hmm. i have a, and then even even life skills right just you know uh, right. how to survive in the streets how to uh, yeah how to be smart na beyond maabilidad diba yes yes be resourceful and to lead people, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, uh, UP had the same similar effect. No, parang you're sort of forced to interact with so many different people 
who have such varying ideas mm-hmm. that challenge your ideas you know parang yes. oh yung yung idea ko nito is mali pala or iba pala or there's a different perspective to looking at it and and that for me has been a great value from UP and parang a lot of people come to you and and present you with something different something completely you wouldn't be able to imagine yes yes that, that's a good thing because the freedom of thinking uh, allows people to challenge each one's ideas. So the better idea wins. That's a kind of, right. uh, or at least you get exposed to these different uh, perspectives. And uh, mm. no one can just claim monopoly of ideas because someone, when someone does that, he gets called out and he gets challenged. There's always someone who's going to challenge your idea. And exactly. uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. And and after UP, parang you went into law as as someone who sort of who came from you know poverty. Hindi mo na isip na magtrabaho na muna ako, but you know going into law essentially you extend that educational period. And hindi ka pa magkakapagtrabaho fully after college. Why was that a decision you made? No, actually I was uh, also working full time, so I went to okay, the evening okay. program. So. Uh, so basically, I was working and I got a job in the peace process. I was part of the, the peace negotiating team uh, with RAM. So I was the one who drafted the peace agreement with RAM. Kina Gringo, Kina ah, okay. General Labinina, General Kalahate. Yeah, so when I was That's, in law school... I think I read that and you were the youngest recipient of the Philippine Legion of Honor. Yes, yes. Tama At the ba? age of 25, I got the Philippine Legion of wow. Honor uh, Award. Yeah, uh, Because I get also to recover some of their ammunitions and bombs and dynamites that the RAM had uh, um, looted from the armory when they, had the, uh, when they staged the coup d'etat. They actually uh, looted, uh, they stole about 60 light, light anti-tank weapons from Kam Krame. And then oh, wow. uh, thousands of ammunitions from the AFP Logistics Command. And then about uh, almost a thousand dynamite sticks. Uh, yeah, all of those I, I recovered and uh, put on a uh, Tamarau FX van. I was going to drive? <laughs> I, I, I was worried it's going to explode. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because some of the dynamite sticks are already unstable. They were actually like parang sweating. Ko na, no? May moisture. Oh, yeah, right. So, yeah. So, that's uh, I was worried that uh, uh, it may explode and no one would really recognize me with that kind of explosion. So, when you did... I mean, this is a little of what I asked you, no? Pero when you did that, did you just go there, talk to the rebels, or was it like a long process that you did? Yeah, it's you a had ve- to sign. Yes, it's a very long process. Actually, we started in 1993 when, uh, well, FBR uh, formed the National Unification Commission, uh, headed by Heidi Yorak at that time. So Heidi was then mm-hmm. a law professor in UP Law, and her office is in the ground floor of uh, of UP Law. So, but by the time I joined, actually Heidi was not anymore. With uh, NUC, it was already uh, headed by Ambassador Manuel Yan and the, the, the GRP panel, we call it the GRP panel for uh, the negotiation with RAM, is headed already by uh, General Fortunato Abad. Uh, yeah, so, and, but he's also having that office in UP Law. And that's why when I was looking for a job, I saw the office and uh, I see the job posting. So I applied and uh, I got accepted. Yeah. 
So you essentially started your career in the government, and you've stayed there for what twenty years already? Twenty five uh, years. Till recently, no? Yeah, yeah. Actually, almost more than twenty five years because started in nineteen ninety three. So and I wow. uh, I only left government in uh, 2016 wow yeah. that's a wow that's a long time to be in the government yes yes there's a one it's, year it's, it's, yeah there's a one year hiatus between 2009 and 2000 uh so 2010 i was out of government i i resigned from bcda and then mm-hmm. uh, when president aguino came into the presidency he asked me and appointed me to be uh, the ceo of bcda in two, two, 2011 Yeah. So you you were working for BCDA even prior to the Aquino administration. Oh yes, uh, I've served four presidents. Um, oh wow! So FBR, uh, FBR, ERAP, GMA, and uh, Pinoy. Yeah, that's the. Yeah, how how difficult is that? No, I mean you've you've been in the government for twenty five, more than twenty five years, and mm. you know serving different administrations with different policies, different I mean attitudes, and even even you know uh, personal personal lives. How were you able to transition from you know FVR to ERAP to GMA to Aquino? Uh, well, I think it's important that uh, you have to ground yourself in uh, in integrity uh, and because that's always a, a foundation that you need to anchor yourself because with the with the changing tides of politics uh, and power shifts uh, you have to anchor yourself very steadily so so just be, become a, a really a career and professional public servant so I, I have to do what uh, what I need to do under the law and therefore uh, and perform my task uh, uh, very well to the best of my ability so and most people most of the most of my superiors would would respect that so i and and also i'm as i said you know i'm not really a, con- a conformist so when i see something is wrong i always speak out but i do that i mm-hmm. speak out in a respectful and cour- courteous manner in such a way that my superiors and all the others would really uh, would really see that as i'm just doing my job you know right. nothing personal about it but this is the job that i have to perform particularly when i became a lawyer so as a lawyer it's my responsibility and my moral duty to tell my client which is are my mostly my principals and my stakeholders that these are the, what the law would say now if you if they mm-hmm. want to violate the law that is something that's their personal decision but for my on my side as a general counsel then at PCDA i had to advise people and my board and all the others who are depending on my opinion that this is the right opinion and uh, now the decision to follow that is probably not within my pay grade anymore but at least i've done my part i've done my duty to tell them what should be done and okay. i think all public servants should do that because Particularly when you're a when you're a career public servant, uh, there will always be different presidents. There will always be different bosses that will come to you. Particularly when the position is political. So, but what's important is you hold your integrity intact, and you could mm-hmm. always, at the end of the day, sleep soundly at night, uh, saying to yourself that you've done the right thing. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 always a difficult balance, no, to be able to balance doing your job and also serving uh the political um basically political drive of whoever you're serving at the moment or whichever administration you're serving at the moment. No? So it's it's not the easiest uh thing to do. Yeah. It's not the easiest uh, because you have a task to do. So there's always there's always a dilemma of okay, uh, there's there are there are these conflicting interests, uh, but you need you have a job to do, and your job is always bigger than yourself. So, and that's one that's a good thing that I was able to realize that the, the job is actually bigger than myself, and I cannot do it alone, and therefore I would need allies within my organization or even outside the organization. Uh, who would believe in what we're trying to do. So, and integrity plays a lot in that because uh, once they see that you can be trusted, then uh, they would they would follow. Yeah. Right. And I saw while you were the head of BCDA, you started an honesty store in your office, no? How did yes. that come about? And why did, you, why did you start that? Oh, yeah. Well, because, you know, uh, I've, I've always heard, you know, a lot... All in the history of the government, you all, people always think about and say about oh, honesty, integrity, but there's no measure, right? So I, I, I want something that could be measurable. Uh, so because people, a lot of people uh, speak about integrity and yet you see their lives and then they see the, how they act. They're so corrupt. So in fact, mm. most people who would really uh, uh, brand themselves as champion of governance you, when you see them, how they act and they make decisions, they're actually the most corrupt, and they just use that, that that, that uh, as a sunny, uh, uh, deodorizer to to uh, to the, the anti-corruption or governance advocate as a deodorizing uh, uh, tool. But mm-hmm. uh, some people even use the name of God, right? That uh, right. Uh, just to make just to make them appear as if they are really honest and good people. But you have to measure it. But ethics and uh, integrity is difficult to measure. So I thought of, you know, uh, and this is something that, that's, that I have learned in law school. Because in UP Law, we have that honesty store, kay Mang Ilyong. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Si Mang Ilyong. Yes, yung, yung Blue Book. Yung blue yes, ba Blue Book and, and, and lahat. <laughs> I mean, Yossi, Candy. So si Mang Ilyong. Tama, tama. Si Mang Ilyong. Sa may... Walk ba yun? No, no, sa UP Law Center. But I think that's, ah, that's also the same in other in other there's also others in 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 UP. But you know, yes, lahat ng blue book ganun eh. Oh, <laughs> so, di ba? Para okay, uh, iwan nila diyan, iwan mo na lang yung pera mo, sukliyan mo sarili mo diyan, di ba? Yeah. And 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 I found people really doing it. So so parang I, I get to there's so much there's so much uh doubts on people's integrity, but then you see some people really complying with it. Yeah, so because integrity can be measured when, when people do things without, when when someone when when no one is looking, do do the right thing when no one is looking, so so that's an honesty store. So so the honesty store, the way I could measure it is kapag may nawawala o hindi na bayaran na item, so that means we have a problem of integrity in the office, right? So because also, right. if you cannot if you cannot trust someone with small things. Definitely, you cannot trust him with the with the bigger things, right? So, right. so if if uh, if our store is losing an item, or or someone has not been paid or did not pay, then there's an issue of integrity there. 
So I could measure how many cases, how many instances. So, so and then when, when we were having difficulty, uh, the truth is people were not really paying, some of them, you know, kumukuha na lang ng wow. item, hindi nagbabayad. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good so, measurement then, stick. E- exactly. Because uh, the, the, my, my principle is if one cannot be a, uh, uh, trusted with the small things, definitely you cannot trust that with the bigger things. Lalo na kung billion-billion yung transaction, ng mga bidding, the BCDA, right? So, right. yeah. Right. Unfortunately, uh, in the store, I, I, real, uh, I found out talaga merong mga hindi nagbabayad. Merong mga kumukuha na lang ng item. And then, in, in the initial operation, and then, tinatrack ko yon, And I asked my HR, itrack mo yan. And then, uh, some of them, my, my management would tell me, uh, oh, lagyan natin ng CCTV. Sabi ko, that defeats the very purpose, right? Uh, that yeah. people should be doing the right thing when no one is looking. If you put a CCTV, then you just, you know, make force their compliance. the action. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So that's the, and I think that should be done in all government offices. Actually, I think I, so. I, that's a really, I, I, really good tool. Yeah, I initiated that uh, so that uh, there'll be a tool to measure it. Because even one item that's missing in the store is already an indication that something is wrong. Right? Tama. So, tama. I mean, you can actually measure it basically. It divide mo percentage by the number of people working in the office. <laughs> yes, yes. So because because one who has an integrity problem can influence the others also. It's like a rotten tomato. If you put that in a basket of good tomatoes, that rat, rotten tomato may also uh, 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 spoil the, uh, the rest. That's mm-hmm. a, you know, just mm-hmm. an organizational challenge. So the idea is to achieve a hundred percent no no incident uh, uh, case. So that's and the in your six yeah. year you were there for six years, no tama ba? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the head of BCDA, yeah, and yeah. and mayroon bang hundred percent? May may month ba kayo na hundred percent? Meron, meron. Pero maraming hindi. So <laughs> <that's> okay. the, <laughs> but well, well, I think I I knew I knew from the get go that uh, I would not uh, getting a hundred percent may be an impossible task to do. But you know, you may you, you must you must at least try. And then because mm-hmm. ethics and integrity is a culture change, so you have to you have to do it every time. Iterate it every single day. Just remind them until right. until they get the culture, right? Hindi naman right. yan mag-start overnight. Eh. You can't transform a, a person overnight. It has to be a conscious change where a system or an infrastructure is laid out where they could comply and uh, towards Tama. good behavior, Tama. right? Mahirap din yung you just you just talk about integrity and then you don't have any. Uh, any in, in infrastructure or any processes that would allow people to go that way, they have to have a clear path on how to do it. So that honestly, right. a very, it's a very simple measure and it's a very simple tool where they could exercise that. Parang di ba nung mga mm-hmm. nasa grade school tayo when we are being taught good manners and right conduct. Yeah, your honesty, right? May mga reminders pa tayo, but. But uh, so meron din akong ganung paminsan-minsan reminders sa mga pinopost sa sa honesty store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and parang 
ang galing, eh, no? you, 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 you came from this really rural setting and then moved to basically the slums of on the edge of BGC. Mm, yeah. And then to the to an office right at the center of, you know, the the, the BGC. How yes. was that feeling for you, you no? Know, you're at the top of this big tower looking at the slums where you were living uh literally maybe 25 or 30 years ago. Well, you know, I felt humbled and grateful. Those are the two things that really, uh, every morning when I go to the office, I will look out the window. And that would remind me where I've been. And that's also my, my moral compass. Uh, that whenever there's a temptation, uh, there's a bribe offer or there's a temptation to do the wrong thing but would reward me financially very wealthily, uh, that would remind me, that window... Uh, that's that's a good reminder, I think, and, and I'm grateful to God to give me that opportunity that I have that window. Uh, that's That window is my conscience. That uh, whenever, mm-hmm. every morning when I get to the office, I will look out the window and see how, where I've been, so poor, nothing, uh, a complete loser that the society would consider. And yet the Lord has put me in a situation where I could do much. And has, he has rewarded me uh, financially as well. Uh, I'm not rich, but at least I'm a middle class anyway. I'm not poor anymore. But at, at least I've earned my keep on an honest and dignified way. And I've served and I've served the Filipino people in an honest way. Even if there are, there are so many times that could have led me astray. But that window mm. is a daily reminder for me. So that uh, I used to be a slum dweller. I used to be very poor. And even if I was poor, I had the dignity of a human being. I did not steal. I did not cheat. Uh, and I did not take, take advantage of my fellow man, even in my right. poorest state. So why would I do that when I was already uh, have a, 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 per, a person of means and a person of capability? Parang feeling ko, nung mahirap na mahirap ako, hindi naman ako nagnakaw. Even my parents, they really worked hard. They really worked with honor and with dignity. Even if we had to be hungry, we had to endure hunger. But we never lost, we never lost our dignity. That's really important. Eh? Um, I think uh, even if you're poor, your greatest wealth is your dignity. As long as you have that, then you have a way you can hope and you could be braver and you could actually dream of a bigger things and achieve it. Uh, because mm-hmm. once you compromise yourself, then you lose yourself. Basically, you can't look at yourself mm-hmm. in the mirror anymore. And then eventually, uh, alam ko yun eh, if I accept a bribe, then I will just be somebody else's lapdog. They would just order me around. I may have the money, but they would just order me around. And that would, that would make me lose myself. So right. I would rather, and, and, and the Lord has shown me, that if you strive hard and just believe in yourself and your capability, you, there's actually a reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and that's yeah. Can I ask you, like, what was the largest bribe na in offer sa you? If you're free to to say this, magulo sa bilko sino, but just how how large was the largest bribe? Let's let's put it this way, right? So I I won't say and let's put it this way, BCDA. The BCDA asset is about 500 billion, and I I think that's mm-hmm. even understated, no? 
you know, the amount of uh, money that goes in a transaction such as the BGC, where yes. a piece of land is worth uh, 1.5 million pesos per square meter, right? Wow. Yeah. You can't even stand on a, well, you can, you can stand on one, you can't even lie on, on the one square meter piece of land. Yeah, right? You have to stand up uh, to occupy right. one square meter of land. And that's already 1.5 million, right? So mm-hmm. for most of most Filipinos, that's already a year's earning, right? Mm-hmm. For, for, I mean, not, not even for most. It's probably for the upper middle class. And exactly. Middle class. 1.5 million. That means you're, you're being paid 150,000 uh, or 100,000 uh, uh, 100, yeah. a month. 100,000 a month. Yeah, yeah. See? That's 100,000 a month. You're already probably a senior guy in your organization to to uh, to uh, to earn that. And mm. and that's uh, and that, and, and Fort Bonifacio is uh, almost 600 hectares. So that's almost mm-hmm. 6 million uh, square meters, right? Uh, yeah. and worth 1.5 million per square meter. Let's, let's assume yeah. it's half that, but that's billions. Really yes. really hundreds of billions of pesos. Then you have Esitex, uh, which we we privatized for about 35, uh, 300, 300 billion uh, worth of concession uh, for for uh, uh, Metro Pacific uh, um, for a 33-year concession. Then you have a lot of about 41,000 uh, hectares of land is owned by BCDA. Then you have concessions mm-hmm. like the airport, the seaport, uh, the tollways, and a lot of them. So I would say if you're a corrupt person in BCDA, you could you can be a billionaire overnight. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You could be a billionaire so, overnight if uh, if you're a corrupt person uh, in BCDA. Uh, now all you need is a hundred square meters, <laughs> It's like essentially the 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 value of a hundred square meters of whatever property BCDA owns. Yeah, because you know. Um, uh, are the ordinary people, the people on the street, are not aware of the valuation of all these assets, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so people could, you know, that's a, uh, and uh, if someone is corrupt, uh, they could just undervalue it and then uh, make money out of it, right? Right. Right. So that's the. And uh, this is this is such a stark contrast, no? Parang when you were in elementary school. Someone accused you of stealing what was probably what fifty pesos or only ten, 10 pesos. Only, only ten pesos. Only ten pesos, diba? Tapos... Actually, well, that, that's a big money in my time, but uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, for an elementary school. Uh, so yeah, but that actually probably defined myself also. My most painful experience also defined who I am and who I will be. In my that's true. May later years, by being accused of stealing ten pesos, you refused a billion peso bribe. Essentially, would be, which would be like the equivalent in your BCDA um, CEO ship. No, um, while you were at BCDA, I've been reading up, and you were able to bring down the debt that was owed to BCDA from six billion. Essentially, to mm-hmm. to something like four hundred fifty million. Yes. Um, and and I I don't want to dwell so much on you collecting this, but 
how much value do you think you created as the CEO of BCDA? Like from when you started, what was the value of BCDA? And when you ended it, what was the value of BCDA uh, in terms of your leadership? Um, well, I think uh, I was at least I was able to, and it was my task. Uh, it was really my mission when I when I accepted the job as CEO of BCDA. When I joined BCDA as a CEO, the previous CEO, General Abaya, was about to actually recommend the dissolution of BCDA already. Because to his mind, uh, BCDA has already done its part in, de- in developing BGC. And then, you know, parang, sige, ikaw na lang natin, ipagpira-pirasuhin na lang yung BCDA. But then I realized, then I, when, when I came in, I saw that that's not true because there's so much asset to be developed. And that would generate wealth, national wealth. For example, the Clark City. Clark is like mm-hmm. uh, uh, almost 40, 000, uh, 35,000 hectares of land. And what you see now, mm-hmm. where the current Clark Airport is and uh, the industrial zone, is only 5,000 hectares. So there's wow, more than a small 30, percentage. Exactly. And that's why I came with the idea to really build a new city. And I think that's a great opportunity to build a new city, particularly when Manila and all other surrounding cities are already congested. And we haven't really put up a proper planning, city planning, in most of the cities. So the Clark Green City is going to serve as the benchmark for future city building and for for existing cities also to redevelop uh, as a sustainable, Mm -hmm. inclusive, smart, and green metropolis to lift the quality of life of people. So to, to eliminate slums, to be to to create more parks and green spaces, to invest dignity to pedestrians, uh, yes, to to promote mobility, uh, to promote health, food security, and uh, protect the environment. So those are those are those things are not contradictory to an urban an urbanization. You could actually create mm-hmm. a, a city that could uh, uh, embody all those principles. So, right. so that's, that's how I thought of Clark. So basically, uh, so imagine the property then was valued as one peso per square meter in Clark, right? Uh-huh. So probably now, because of what I started, uh, that 9,500 hectares would, uh, at the very least, fetch 1,000 peso per square meter. That's a conservative estimate. Wow. Like a so thousand that, percent increase. Yes, because that's what I've seen in in how in in a good master plan in the real estate. For example, in BGC, when we started, it's about thirty three thousand per square meter in nineteen ninety five, mm-hmm. and people thought that's hey that's uh, unrealistic and very high price. But look now, twenty years after, that's one point five million. So that thirty three thousand to one point five million, right? So. Uh, that's uh, so the the ex- the increase in value is exponential. It's not linear. Mm-mm. So so that value from one peso to probably one thousand pesos now. So could you imagine multiply that by nine thousand five hundred, or at the very least, uh, the very yeah. least four thousand five hundred uh, hectares, right uh, per square meter. That's bi- billions, uh, billions of billions, hundreds of billions of pesos. Uh, so and that's an uh, that's an additional value get getting into the economy. How many, how much right. how much how much thousand jobs would, would it create and opportunities? Because there's also a multi- multiplier effect. 
mm-hmm. construction would uh, would uh, resume. Uh, and now we have a new stadium there. Uh, there. Then also the there are a lot of things that I've actually brought new in in BCDA, not only in the financial side. So financially, when I came in, the cash balance of BCDA is about seven seven billion. When I left, it's about nineteen billion. That's cash. Wow. Li- liquid. That's cash. a lot of cash. Yes, that's a lot of cash. Well, as as you mentioned earlier. That's also uh, what add, adds up to it is the collection that the receivables that we are able to collect. So from that six billion, mm-hmm. we we reduced to four hundred plus billion. We were able to collect uh, most of it. Uh, and the and uh, the secret to that is you know when you try to collect money, do not accept bribes, and because so that uh, the person that you're trying to collect from would be would also trust you that you're just doing your job. It's a matter of respect also. They may not like you, uh, that you are collecting a number of billions from them. But for those who are really legitimate businessmen and who really also uh, treasure their reputation as good businessmen, once you come to them uh, with that proposition that, hey, you have to pay because this is a government money and you have to pay it because it's your Mm. civic duty. You, you, You also made money as a businessman here. But uh, it's your civic duty now to to return the favor to the government. And me, as a CEO, I'm not going to ask any favor from you, any even one cent of money from that. So you have to pay. So, but if you don't pay, so in a and, way, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, but also the the the, the other the extreme proposition of that is, if you don't pay, I'll really come hard after you because that's my of duty. Course. I I owe it to the people. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, it's like integrity creates integrity. Parang ganon. It, it, if you come to a person and your integrity is intact and you show them that your integrity is intact, parang it makes them want to, you know, kumbaga reciprocate that, that kind of integrity in, in terms of, you know, in, in your case, paying, paying whatever is owed to the government. Yes, yes. You know, I have a, a movie that would serve me a lesson to that, you know. I have a Bible verse and a movie as a lesson to that, but both are contrasting. The Bible verse that I would say is, uh, is Matthew 10, 16. It's where Jesus said that he's sending the disciples in the midst of wolves. Therefore, the, the disciples should be as innocent as the dove, but as, as shrewd as a serpent. Mm-hmm. So... That means Jesus Christ was not politically naive or because he understands that to deal with evil in the world, you also have to think as a serpent. But you have to have that innocence of a job, of a dove, to anchor yourself in yourself, in your inner self. The other one is the movie that I'm talking about is a, uh, uh, the, the Godfather, right? And mm-hmm. my most favorite character there is, uh, is not the... That's not Marlon Brando or or uh, Al Pacino. It's more of the consigliere, right? Mm. Because and and that made me realize that even the worst criminal, the most vile, the the vilest, the the vilest, the most violent, and the most ruthless, at the end of the day, they would look for someone that they could trust, an honest man, right? And that's right. the conciliary. That's someone that they could trust. So at the end of the day, it's the good, 
that would prevail because even the most evil of person would always long for a good man or a good woman beside him uh so that's very so and that that gave my that lifted my faith in people that even if this guy is probably trying to cheat government i would give him the benefit of the doubt and try to reason out with him right uh mm -hmm. uh that hey you have a civic duty uh but if i go there and say okay just give me this 100 million and then i let the i let your few billions go then that would not work <laughs> right so uh, but as long as it's very clear to him that I'm doing it because I'm doing my job, and uh, and if he he actually agrees with me, I will also protect him in the best way I could. Uh, so because he's done the right thing, right? So right. He, he, the uh, the the commitment to go after to do the right thing must also be a commitment to protect that right thing, even if the person. It's may maybe the uh, most people would think that you know uh, undesirable character, but if he's doing the right thing, then we must be able to protect what he's doing, right? Okay. So because no one's perfect, that makes so sense. That that also, but of course, I always surround myself with good people, and that <laughs> that helps. <laughs> of course, and, of course. Uh, yeah, they say yeah. surround yourself with people better than you. Yes, that's actually my my hiring. Uh, guide, I always look for people who are best than better than me, uh, because that makes my life so easy, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I don't. I don't uh, need to. I don't need to rewrite a memo. <laughs> tama, tama. And now, I mean, now is basically a very difficult time for the Philippines. Our our economy is going down. The last report was sixteen percent uh, GDP drop uh, on the second quarter of the year, and being someone who has created value and created basically economic opportunities for many businesses, many entrepreneurs over the many years that you've served in the government, how would you move forward with this crisis? Uh, just looking at the economic uh, side of it. Well, I think we the worst crisis that we have is actually the crisis of credibility and leadership. I think uh, um, we must, all leaders, whether in government or in the private sector, must be able to project uh, a certain level of credibility that would, um, that would also ensure that the trust of people is gained, is regained. Because uh, with a lot of things, fake news and you know, hate, hate speech uh, going around, and, and, and a lot of uh, um, uh, promises that has been made, which, which was not uh, uh, fulfilled, uh, our people uh, has lost uh, trust in a lot of our leaders, uh, particularly for in this pandemic. Um, so government and even all leaders, not only government, uh, public and private leaders, must be able to speak with transparency and humility to the people so that they could regain the trust and they it's a it's a crisis of credibility so mm -hmm. uh for example how could you how could you uh trust people to uh to follow their order of staying uh, staying at home or not uh being engaged in social gathering 
when you see our topmost police officer uh, holding Manyanita, right? That's true. So it's a it's a it's a uh, crisis of credibility. So because it's a, it should be leadership by example. Mm-hmm. So our leaders must be able to show that they could walk the talk, right? Uh, yeah. That when they say okay. We're going to have a lockdown, and they should be the first one to sh- to show the example that, hey, we're really uh, serious into this, and and this is for your own good, so you should follow. Uh, the crisis of credibility happened also when there is double standard in the application of law and regulation. So, uh, and therefore, the our leaders must be able to show the equality in the application of the law. Um, right. That uh, that would help. Uh, uh, because no matter, uh, it's just like uh, the boy who cried wolf, right? Even if they may be saying the right thing already, but because people had lost their trust, uh, they would not be willing to hear it. Uh, and therefore, everyone loses. So it's a, uh, I guess the, 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 that's, uh, that's a, the failure to communicate well is also uh, a contributor to that uh, crisis and credibility and leadership, yeah, right. That's very true. Now, no, um, uh, I live here in, in in the Cordillera where we have been lucky to have you know some really strong leaders and very leaders with integrity like Benji Magalong. He's been doing a really good job here. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and we really see how different it is. Like uh, I posted the other day where my, my Taho vendor nga, uh, was part of the mass testing and was willing to stay home no? and, and forego mm-hmm. his, his mm-hmm. income for two weeks. Because the government here cares for him. Essentially, yes. they, they, put, they put out uh, the necessary things so that he would trust the government. Na parang, okay, they'll test me. And after this, you know, it helps actually for me to make a living. And it's true what you're saying that that to restart the economy in that way in, I mean, in a very small way, I, I'm equating it to my Tahoe vendor who's sort of restarting his livelihood. And sabi niya nga sa akin, yes. during, during this whole pandemic, mas malaki yung kita niya kasi people are home. So there are opportunities yes. here if we allow people uh, the space and of course the trust in government like you said to yes to to be the, this way and and then also i think uh what's also important and then you mentioned it with your taho bender is that the government is compassionate in its leadership uh yes mm-hmm. the government would impose rules which some people may think it's uh, quite strict and strong but then uh there is also a compassionate side to it that uh the government also ensures that after Having that lockdown, they also provide opportunity for people to eventually rise to their feet and gain uh, uh, and help them uh, really to to earn and uh, not to be hungry. So, you, you, because leadership would require a strong hand, but also a compassionate hand. But at the end of the day, uh, our followers and our people must uh, understand that hey. He's quite strict because this is for our own good. And that good is being shown also by the government that they're reaching out. They're actually going down to our level and see what we need and taking care of our need. So once you have that, uh, then then uh, actually compliance follows. It, it, it becomes automatic. Uh, 
people take on take upon themselves to really do the right thing and that's what happened you see that culturally in Japan uh, people true. people queue even in the middle of disaster and hunger people still queue uh, and uh, very orderly we have that here too eh? a cordillera i have to say yeah actually you know filipinos the, the cordilleran way is actually a filipino way uh, and I, I, because I've seen that also when I was younger, uh, people true, ca- yeah. people care about each other. Uh, when in fact, when your neighbor cooks something uh, a delicious uh, uh, dish, uh, they would actually give a plate to your neighbor and say, "Hey, pakibigay mo ato kay karaginito, di ba?" Na 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 at naamoy ng kapitbahay, di ba, binibigyan yung kapitbahay na kahit para makatikim lang, parang taan sabi namin doon para wag saktanan chan. But mm-hmm. that, that is a generosity that is inherent in us culturally. But unfortunately, uh, because we tend to alienate ourselves from each other, and I would think uh, that we have created walls ano, uh, among us and, and our regional differences, we'd rather... Uh, we'd rather look at our differences rather than our own commonalities as people. But the hospitality and generosity is an ingrained Filipino value and culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm so happy that you're able to, to preserve that in the Cordilleras because there's, not think... much, because there's not much wall in Cordillera. That's true. That's true. I think for us... Uh, maybe because the society is very egalitarian. Parang there's nobody who's really, really, really rich and there's nobody who's really, really, really poor. Yes. And parang we don't have subdivisions like there are in Manila. Exactly. We don't have this division between people. Like, you know, I, I used to play, uh, we're, we're middle class, but I used to play with, you know, the poor people, uh, farmers, farmers' kids. And yes. kami. Yes, and, and I think that's something that someone who lives in a subdivision in Manila who is very privileged does not experience, and, and so it creates these divisions. No? Actually, yes, as an urban planner, <clears throat> you know, it's one of my advocacy and one of the main principles in Clark City that I uh, uh, made very clear there is that there should be na- no gated subdivisions in that city. You know, I think. Uh, uh, as an urban planner, we should actually break down all the subdivision walls, open all the gates, open all the gates, and let everyone use the roads. The, congest- yes, yes. the congestion in Metro Manila is actually caused by so many enclaves that does not allow road sharing. Because if you if you would simply break down and open up all the gates, uh, then uh, people could just you know go uh, would have different uh, routes instead yeah. of. Or everyone con- con- congregating on EDSA and C5, uh, like a funnel, then it's like mm. water, right? Uh, if you have a lot of outlets there, then it's not going to be clogged in one major artery. If you have right. a lot, plus all of these, all of these areas, they're not really connected to any public transport. E- exactly. So everybody has a car. Exactly. And when I was in BCDA, one of my mission really was to open up John Hay for all people to go. Because uh, mm. I felt that Johnny has become much more of an enclave only for the privileged and only for the rich. When in fact, yes. the beautiful green spaces, the pine trees, families should be having picnics there, and uh, particularly for the locals. And the locals yeah. should really have a sense of ownership that it's theirs. 
And we are yeah. just managers and we are just stewards of that uh, place for them. That's it's the- really interesting that you say this now because um, John Hay was more open during the time of the Americans as a young boy. We used to go there a lot. It's more open during the time of the Americans mm-hmm. than it is now. Yes, uh, because uh, the people who are managing that is actually uh, uh, tend to make that more exclusive for them. Uh, which is actually economically also uh, disadvantageous because the more people you have in Johnny going there, then you create an, econo- in, uh, an economic driver that would also create value both for all the businesses there and also the and enhance people's uh, uh, sense of uh, belonging in that right. place. That's a beautiful and also place. For, yeah. Also for me as an environmentalist, parang the more people appreciate the forest environment, the more advocates you have. Yes. And this is something that in Baguio, kasi, I think it's one of the few cities in the Philippines that actually gets out on the street pag may pinuputol na puno. Exactly. I, I haven't seen this in any other city. Eh, na parang, oh, they're cutting trees, kahit isang puno lang or sampung puno lang. Everybody yeah. is out. There's an uproar. Parang, it's in Baguio because we appreciate it. We're able to experience that environment. Eh. And we know what happens when you lose it. Yeah, I I used to go to John Hay when I was the first time I went to Baguio was I was already uh, probably 13 years old. So and I, I really loved the place. Uh, I really mm-hmm. loved the smell of the pine trees. Uh but you know when I when we were already adults and it uh, the John Hay CJH Devco uh developed it. I I thought that they're going to develop it well, but no, unfortunately um it was not, uh, that's not how it happened. And, uh, and what really made me sad uh, whenever I go to Baguio is that whenever I pass along Session Road, I would see this concrete false pine tree, right? Uh, right. Some, yeah, at the top of Session Road. Yes, yes, at the top of Session Road. I why do we have to have this concrete false pine pine tree when we should have the real one right we we should yeah. have the real pine tree uh in this in this uh road bakit kailangan maging peke yung puno eh, in fact and dami daming pine trees diyan sa kwan and pinuputol pa yung mga parang pinuputol yung tunay na pine trees tapos naglalagay ng mga peking cementadong pine trees that's a, hmm. that's a height of hypocr- hypocrisy in in the urban development i guess so so I thought that you know it was really my my mission then that sana uh, if I had my way uh if we were able to take over that that uh, that that area we would really have opened it to for everyone to enjoy um and this is this is yeah. sort of a uh something that you've done throughout your career no parang through BGC Clark Green City and all of these other areas parang you've really put an emphasis in the value of open space and basically the commons you know, for everybody. Yes. You know, th- th- because uh, as the person who lived in the farm and who lived in the slums and have seen, the, I guess, the worst and the best of it, you know, I've seen that the, the physical space has a lot to do with the way people think. Uh, it, it influences how people see themselves. So if you, and therefore, uh, I would encourage also design thinking uh, for, exa- mm-hmm. for example, parks, right? Uh, I've been to the New York Central Park and I, us- and I used to run the New York Marathon. But whenever I have some space, some, some time, I would really sit on a bench there 
And I would see people from all walks of life without discrimination. You wouldn't see who's the billionaire and who's the poorest. You wouldn't That's see. True. You wouldn't see. Uh, you, you wouldn't see. Uh, it doesn't matter whether a woman or a man or a, an African-American or an Asian or a white. They're all there in the park enjoying it. And therefore, Tama. Tama. And, and, and what, what does it do? Uh, it, it, it uplifts the dignity of the community by uplifting the individual dignity. Eh, dito sa atin, in other city building, when we plan, for example, a road, uh, most, most road designs do not even have sidewalks. So what will happen? It doesn't have bike lanes. So what would happen? The ordinary guy who is a pedestrian would have to sacrifice himself and take the risk of being run over by a car by walking on the carriageway itself, right? Na mm-hmm. pwede mo namang, and, and then in the provinces, we used to, run, to walk kilometers of roads, like what we did when we were young, going to school. But because it's a, it's a, it's a leisurely walk, because you have friends with you, and then there are trees that would shade you when it's, uh, when it's raining or when it is right. too hot. And, and, and trees create my... Yeah, cooler. And because one mm-hmm. tree could create, could actually lower the temperature by one degree or two degrees by creating its own microclimate. Subukan mo na, you have a tree beside you na, na may shade and then do up tumayo sa walang tree. And then, and then measure the temperature there. And then when you go on the shade of the tree, the, immediately the temperature drops by one degree or two degrees. So people can walk. People will walk uh, and they become healthier. Diyan nga sa Baguio, right. dapat, uh, dapat nilalakad na lang yung session eh. Uh, Tama. Well, mostly or, naman nilalakad. I mean, we walk mm-hmm. more, I think, as Baguio people than most other parts of the Philippines. Yeah. But because there is that infrastructure, di ba? Oh, oh, oh. Yun nga. So, so but but what what I'm saying is it's not only that but yung 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 inner yung impact dun sa psyche ng tao the way mm. that person thinks. So, he feels more valued. He feels more uh his self-respect and his self-esteem is lifted. So when he does right. that, when he has that, he is actually empowered. Then he he gets mm-hmm. to because once he feels that he's valued and he's respected and his dignity intact then he could have more participation in in uh in community building he will have his voice right. heard you know that's why the the cordilleras are very very vocal in so many advocacies not only in the cordillera but in national advocacies uh the ipra law was actually uh, uh mostly led by a lot of the cordillerans that's true um, um one of my aunts manang bridget tamada <laughs> yes yes so because because there there is that culture that they can speak that they 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 have that confidence that their their voice they can voice their their opinions because the community encourages that and the social structure encourages that too right that's right so that's right that's a very very good do, insight no? yeah if you have to do that in all in all cities uh and and once you do that you could have a very empowered citizenship because right. people feel a sense of ownership with the city. Parang Tama. city ko to eh. Diba? Parang, parang ang mga taga-bagyo feeling na, Teka, taga-bagyo ko eh. Diba? Ganun yung mm-hmm. sinasabi nila. We have nila. a term for that, no? Here we call it ili. Mm. Ili. ili namin ito. Parang ili. Oh. I-L-I, oh. basically. Yeah. Or so, so if you're from my ili, <laughs> parang ganun, ka-ilian. 
Ang tawag yeah. na. So, di ba, parang there's immediately, there's a sense of community and that you feel responsible for that community individually, right? right? So, Correct. that should be, that that is the kind of spirit that we should have as a nation. Can you that imagine? That should be the norm, no? Is, yeah, exactly. Can you imagine that kind of mentality and that culture cascaded uh, in the entire country? Then you will have Tama. no problem with patriotism or love of country. Everyone would just say, okay, uh, I'm a Cordilleran, but most, uh, but I'm a Filipino also. I'm a Batangueño, but I'm a Filipino. So, Filipino Tama. ako, diba, at the end of the day. We may, we may, in the Create same way, that Cordill- kind of pride in yes. being a Filipino. In the same way, the Cordillera, for example, oh, iba-iba naman tribes. May Bontok, may Kankanay, may Ifugao, may... But they're, when they're all from Baguio, or you're all from Cordillera, diba? we're all Cordillerans, right? This is true, uh, yes. This is very, pad- very true. Um, yeah. Last so, question, no, before we we go. Parang we've, we've been going for about mm-hmm. now and a half. Sabi mo nga, talkative ka, tama. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so much, Sorry. so much, so much to talk about. It's really, parang, I think, kailangan ito ng part two, part three, part four. Uh, <laughs> there's so much really to talk about. Um, yeah. But, um, I'd like to ask you know you you were recruited when you were in Harvard you were recruited by Paul Volcker he offered you a job yes. and he's basically the guy that saved the US economy he he you know he brought it up from 2008 and and parang why did you not take the job it was a big opportunity and why did you come home uh, well the job is supposed to be to work for him in the World Bank uh, that would have been a dream job to work for him in the World Bank um, but unfortunately, I saw myself more as someone. Uh, there, there are two things. Uh, one, um, I want to go home because I want to show to the, to my boss and to others that those who go to the U.S. on scholarships actually goes back. Because if I stay there, then they would doubt whether the next guy after me would also go back. So I just want to set a precedent that uh, you have to, for, for, for the next person who would be given that opportunity. I mm-hmm. felt that I have a responsibility to the next guy who's going to apply for a scholarship. Uh, so second is that I feel that I'm much more needed here. Uh, the World Bank is a good institution, but it's a very big bureaucracy. Uh, and... Uh, uh, that would be that would be paying off quite handsomely for me and would secure uh, my future. But uh, but having money is not only uh, uh, you know as I grew up without much money, so money doesn't really that uh, was that uh, um, uh, a decision point for me. It is important, I realize it, but that does not it does it's not the it's not the thing that would define my life. So and I felt that the sense of purpose is going here where I could contribute more. And uh, it turned out to be a good decision because, well, I had difficulty in the first two years that I've been and I left BCDA. But then God has a way of, again, rewarding that decision by suddenly uh, putting me there again as a president and CEO already. And that's how uh, I was able to do a lot of things because I have a sense of purpose. I have a mission to fulfill when I, when I, when I rejoined. Yeah. Well, thank That's you very a, much for that. No, that I think very yeah, insightful and, and, for a lot of people that those experiences. Yeah. 
Yeah, and also I felt that uh, I want to raise my family here. Uh, the U.S. is a good country, uh, but I'm a Filipino. Uh, I feel that this is my home. Uh, even if the U.S. may be able to provide me sanctuary, but that's not my home. I would not. I would never feel at home there. That's true, and I think that's something that's echoed by a lot who have the same passion and opportunities that you've had. No, I I talked to Jamela Lindogan, and my last episode was was her, and she she said, you know, that that really she's needed here in the Philippines, and this is her home. And for for many people, like like for myself, I've always found myself coming back to my Ili my home here mm-hmm. in, in Benguet. Mm-hmm. And like many also, I think this is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm glad that you stayed. You know, you've created so much value for so many Filipinos. I mean, it's amazing that what one person can do uh, in terms of creating value for a nation. And you've done that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you also. Um, yeah. Our country is very beautiful. It's a rich country. We just need to take care of it all together. <laughs> I really realize how truly lucky I am to be able to have these conversations with people like Arnel and to share it with all of you. I mean, so many of them are so insightful, so... Uh, I mean, in many ways, life-changing for myself and maybe for some of the listeners out there who are listening to this podcast. And, I mean, listening and having these long-form conversations with um, people like Arnel, people like Tang, uh, everybody who's been on this podcast has been amazing, truly amazing. And having... I think this is really something we need now, you know? I mean, to be able to learn, relearn how to listen, how to have conversations and not just respond to people, uh, which is really something that social media has created, you know? We're just responding. Uh, We're not listening. We're not having conversations. We want to win the argument, but not have the conversations with our communities you know this is why we have so much tribalism now so with that i would like to thank all of you listeners of this podcast this is 27 episodes now of of the wildcast and uh thank you everybody who has been supporting the wildcast listening to it and of course please buy our shirts again i'd like to remind everybody that they're still available for pre-order and uh I'll see you, well, I'll listen to you. You'll listen to me next week. And next week, I have a very, very special guest, someone who has been instrumental in who I am today, actually, and and who many people on this podcast uh, owe a lot to her. Uh, my, my, my guest next week is Rebecca Martin. She was the former director of the National Geographic Expeditions Council. Without her help, without her, I would not be where I am today. Um, She's my fairy godmother, really. And uh, such an interesting conversation catching up with her. 
from her life in DC. And you'll listen to that next week on the webcast.